Hello, hello, hello. I'm back. I took a break last week. I hope you were able to catch up on episodes that you may have missed. There's been 15 and this is the 16th episode. Wow, can't believe it. So I do want to announce that the season will be ending soon. After 20 episodes, we'll take a bit of a a break. And I'm excited to bring you so much new content when the next season launches. But until then, you still have some episodes to look forward to in this first season. And today's conversation is with my friend Orlando Dobbin. And he is, well, let him speak for himself because he is a ball of energy and has so many great things to say today to us about finding your authentic self, exploring your career journeys, as well as travel, and then his experience of kind of sorting through his identity as a black man in this country of America. So I hope that you would enjoy. No, I know that you will. So please leave a review, five-star ratings, wherever you're listening to it. Again, I'm just always so incredibly grateful that you spend your time listening to these conversations because they really are a piece of my heart. So enjoy. Hi everyone, I'm Kiko Orkari and this is A Colorful Life. Hello Orlando. It's just a miracle that I'm up here right now. I have listened to every episode. Sanan, I love hearing you talk about, you know, how much you love Winnipeg and read the newspaper. That inspired me to want to read my town's newspaper. Denzel, I haven't met you before, but participatory democracy. Ah, so good. Kelsey, what's up, girl? I loved your episode, what you said about friendship. And Kiko, you remember you said that uh, Kelsey shows up for her friends and supports them and supports their projects. You know, I realized as I was listening that she came to my like presentation about Pittsburgh. I hadn't even met her yet, but she even shows up for her friends' friends. What's up? <laughs> oh, Toby, I've been using Curiosity Path for like the last three weeks with all my friends. Literally, they'll be talking to me and I'll be like, They'll say, yeah, you know, I never really followed the career path. I just followed curiosity because like, I have a term for that, my friend. Curiosity path. All right. So <laughs> this is amazing. Um, that was so beautiful, Orlando. I'm glad that you're you're using your platform to shout out all of my other guests yes. to let them oh, know. Oh, oh, your friend from Paradise? Yeah. Oh, I felt such a connection with her and her story. Oh, mm. that was so good. I love everyone. So this is this is amazing. All right. I don't know what I'm going to do, Kiko, at the end, because I usually send you like a three minute long like <laughs> review. So I don't know what I'm going to do this time because it's me. There is a first time for everything. And that was definitely the first intro that I've ever experienced of that of that nature. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've, I've, I think I've reached a whole nother level as a podcaster because people are literally coming onto my show now to use it to speak to all of the other previous <laughs> guests. <laughs> I love it. Well, yes. let us learn about you, Orlando. We know that you are such a um, fan of A Colorful Life, but sincerely, I am really grateful for your enthusiasm. It always carries me into the next episode. 
And whenever I post, I'm thinking, hmm, if no one listens to it, I know Orlando Depp. <laughs> definitely, know. definitely will listen to this. So thank you for being here. And I really am really excited to chat with you, Orlando. So um, tell us a little bit about where you are talking to me from right now. Set the stage for us. Yeah, yeah. Um, fan turn co-producer soon, right? <laughs> um, oh, I didn't mean, sorry. I was kind of dropping some knowledge out there that wasn't supposed to be released just yet. I am speaking to you from, all right, just one metaphor real quick. I feel like this moment is like when you are, if I was at a Lakers basketball game, and then LeBron James looked in the stands and was like, hey, Orlando, will you come play on this court with me right now? I may be a big fan of mine, but we, I want to play with you. That's what this feels like. I like, <laughs> I've been watching and listening to this podcast for, for months now. And now I am on the thing that is impacting me and changing, changing me. I'd be using your stuff all the time, Kiko. I'd be, <laughs> I'd be like, y'all, I just, you know how people be like, I just heard in a podcast episode, this thing, thing, thing. I always yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. I'm coming to you all from, I have it on my arm. People can't see it, but my tattoo, you can't see it right now either. I'm coming from Clayton, North Carolina. Um, it is in the central part of North Carolina. I am at my parents' house there. And uh, parents whom I love dearly, they are uh, some of the best humans in the world. And they are letting me hang out with them for a few months. Cool. And so, but you're typically, uh, before you were there, you were living in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, NC. Yes, Pittsburgh. Shout out to P-Town. What's up? Pittsburgh is amazing. I actually wrote an article about it. If anybody wants to read it, Pittsburgh. Yes. I mean, so Pittsburgh is a rural town in North Carolina, right outside of the Raleigh, right, area. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I had the joy of visiting one time. Yes. Which, you know how they say some cities like you need at least four days here or you need, to, you need to be here for at least a week I'm pretty sure you could do Pittsburgh in half a day a month <laughs> in half a day in a month. <laughs> <laughs> no but we had I had a really good time though seeing your little home well not hometown but seeing where you were and I thought it was really cool because out of all my friends, you're the only one that I know that really loves that rural vibe. I, I'm used to hanging around all city folk. So, so Orlando, I know we talk about this a bit, but I'm really curious, like, what is it about the rural town, like Pittsburgh, that seems to draw you in? Yeah, yeah. I loved our little visit in Pittsburgh, too. It was fun having you there and fun being volunteered to do stuff by you. Your question was, what draws me to rural places? Yeah. I mean, that I could talk about rural communities for like this entire episode. I was literally just reading a book about rural communities and the beauty, the resilience that are found in them, the relationships that you often see that are familial in rural communities. So first of all, I'd say rural communities aren't perfect, right? Like, I don't want anybody to get a romantic view of a rural place or a rural town or Pittsburgh or where I grew up at, Windsor, um, because there's a lot of hard things in rural communities. There's poverty. There can be attitudes that have not been influenced by um, other types of people. 
uh, so we can get some close-minded, yeah, close-minded views, close-minded um, experiences. Um, you also, at least for a young person, it was a little bit challenging because there weren't a lot of single young adult people for me to hang out with. But I think what I love about rural communities is the authenticity there. My brother lives in LA right now, and he, you know, no, I'm not trying to throw shade on LA, but he will tell me about how people feel fake there. People are always trying to put on their best front because they think they're talking to a, a producer or a whatever. And ain't no producers in Pittsburgh, so ain't no need to be putting on a front, <laughs> right? So people are just real. I remember when I moved to Pittsburgh, the first day I was there, I walked out of this Habitat for Humanity store and this random guy comes up to me and he's like, hey, are you new here? And I was like, yeah, I'm new. And then he said, I live on a farm and I have a few acres and a pond. I'd love to have you over for some tea and or coffee and uh, we can hang out get to know each other i guess that doesn't necessarily speak to the authenticity people that does speak to like the curiosity that people have about each other i think when you live in a community that feels authentic where people are being real i think that brings out your own authenticity and allows you to just rest like i, I wrote a poem and in the poem i talked about how pittsburgh was a place where i could finally just be and be me and and that's special so i think i love what I love maybe most about rural communities is it feels like there's an authenticity there, there's a realness there, there's a way in which people see the humanity in each other that um, that feels like home. Yeah, you know, when you put it that way, I'm starting to really under, understand it, Orlando, and it makes so much sense because the word that you kept saying was authenticity. Like people are so authentic. You can be yourself. Like you don't have to put a front. You don't have to be fake. And people welcome that authenticity. And it's like, it makes sense, Orlando, because that is you. You're a very authentic person. You live, I'm sure whoever's listening to this from the intro of this podcast, you can tell that Orlando lives life out loud. And you you cannot hide the emotion that he is experiencing at the Mm. time. And it's actually quite contagious as well. So it makes a lot of sense why living in a rural community would draw you in because you can be your full self, which is so interesting as well, because all the things that you mentioned about rural communities that might not, that might also be cons, you would think that what would also fall into that category is the fact that since people are close-minded, they might not be as welcoming, Mm -hmm. but it seems that from your experience, it's been the opposite where the curiosity kind of outweighs maybe that closed-mindedness. But then it probably depends where you are because the rural community you were living in, Pittsburgh, is near a major quite liberal city, like right. Chapel Hill, where there's universities. So right. um, I'm wondering like that dynamic of, of course, it's not a blanket generalization for every rural area, but you were blessed to find a space that was really that good combination of welcoming and authenticity. You loved it. I can tell when you took us around town <laughs> to uh, the the one pub. <laughs> and <laughs> then we went to eat some barbecue yeah. and you were talking to every single person. And I think it's so contagious because suddenly I became like a, a talker in that town and I was connecting you with people. <laughs> You were the waitress. She was like a student, high school student or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she wanted to be a school counselor, which you happen to be. So I was like, well, he's a school counselor. Why don't you mentor her? (laughs) You know, I I said, 
he can mentor you <laughs> and you're like the whole time just quiet like sitting next to me and like give me the look like he go shut up like why are you volunteering me yeah oh, yeah whatever came of that Orlando that was hilarious I was like what is going on I was sitting there just like I was watching a movie or something like that I don't know it's wild but yeah she came up and she was interested so she said yeah I want to do school counseling or she I think she was in a, at a community college taking some type of some human services course and then so I was just like mm-hmm that's awesome that's cool and then you oh my friend is in human services well let me say something and yeah, bitch, I guess she had like a project where she had to shadow somebody who's working in the human services field. So then, uh, yeah, she did end up shadowing me. And it also, it was ended up being really awesome because she helped me with this like um, event I was doing for some kids and she was clutch. We were playing musical chairs and there was a lot of kids in there and she was able to help me out with it. So it worked out. But that's interesting that you say that because I wonder if you would have had that same reaction if we were in Raleigh or Durham, if you would have just volunteered me the, maybe not, right? Because you probably would have thought that, first of all, because Pittsburgh is such a small town, you knew that she probably lived close enough that she could come shadow me. Yeah, there's something about small towns and not having a ton to do or not having a ton of, uh, you know, I would have the time to do it. So- no, you know what, Orlando, what I was thinking was, all right, girl, let me let me let you let me connect you and network so we can get you out of this small town. <laughs> <laughs> so we can so oh you can see that god. there's a world outside of here. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh my god. But uh, but that's interesting that I, I think that is very um typical in a small town where it's like, oh, I have this need. Oh, let me call my neighbor who actually knows how to fix this random thing that you have. And then they'll come and fix it and they'll fix it for free just because they're your neighbor. Like one thing that I felt when I was in Pittsburgh is that everybody's your neighbor. Like I would be driving on this random road and everybody would just be waving. I've never been on this road before, but everybody would wave at you and greet you because it feels like everybody's your neighbor. And that neighborliness is something that's really special, I think, about small towns. Ooh, Orlando. So when you started this episode, you were shouting out some of my former guests, and then you talked about Denzel and how community was a big theme throughout our conversation. And so it may, and when you're talking about this experience of living in a rural community and not what I know of you, like community is such a huge part of your ethos, I would say. And I love this because community is also part of like what my worldview is is I think that community should center um, a lot of our experiences and we should hold we should hold it on a pedestal community mm -hmm. so like hearing the connection of the story behind why you fall in love with these rural small communities it makes so much sense to me mm -hmm. because in those major or larger cities or bigger spaces it can sometimes feel like pulling teeth to build community and even my friend Denzel who came on a previous episode he also grew up in a smaller rural type um, city there in the UK and then you did as well and there's something about our childhood experiences that really shape us mm -hmm. and mold us and then we even if we try to run away from them yeah. we tend to always lean back and fall back on them yeah. and it's so intriguing to me and you said you grew up in a rural, rural community. 
you would think a lot of people who grow up in rural communities say like, I just need to get out, right? I just need to go to a major city or I need to see the world. I need to, you know, see what's out there, which you did as well. But there's just something about that community, small town feel aspect that seems to continuously pull you back. Mm -hmm. And so my question here is, Orlando, like what was it about your, you know, growing up little Orlando that really stuck with you in that experience of growing up in a small um, town and then um, how it may have shaped your perspective and your worldview of what it means to build community, why community is so such an integral part of your identity today. I'm just so excited to be here. You're doing that thing where you be pulling out parts of people's stories that they hadn't even realized. It's like, that's a Pharrell therapy session right now, y'all. <laughs> Let me write that note down real quick. Small town, how I grew up. I didn't make that connection that, you know, I love these towns because of my experiences growing up. Yes, yeah, good. That's really good. Orlando's literally taking notes while he's a guest on this podcast. How are you taking notes about your own episodes? <laughs> live, live notes. Kiko, I'm going to see you recorded at the end. I'm... I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> at minute 10, Kiko, when you ask that question of your of your guests and you ask them about his small town, oh, that was a good question. I could tell that really resonated with them. Gosh, that was a good question. That's, that's true. And I, I just want to put a bookmark. Maybe we won't come back here, but that was an interesting observation you made about how feeling like a rural community helps you to tap into your most authentic self while also rural communities can be places where people are closed-minded and that kind of dichotomy. I want to come back to that at some point. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah. And I want to say, too, that you can experience this type of community anywhere, right? Because I know friends who live, like, in a big city, but they live on this block, right, where they get to know everyone and everybody becomes like a family. And I think Denzel talked about living in the community he lives in now, and it's a bigger city, but there's still a sense of community because there's a sense of shared purpose. So I think you can experience it anywhere. But I think what makes it happen in rural communities is that I remember I moved to the rural community after living in like downtown Greensboro. I felt like life slowed down. Like it just felt like I had so much more time. And I remember going to the farmer's market and there would be like 10 people there. So you could talk to the farmer for like 20 minutes. And so life just feels like it slows down. There's not as much going on. And that allows you to one, be present with yourself. Notice what's happening within you and then notice other people. And I think when you notice other people, it naturally kind of leads to relationship building. I don't know if that makes any sense or not, but I just want to make sure that community and relationships can happen anywhere. But I think what makes it happen in rural communities is the way that life slows down a little bit. But your question was, how did my experiences going from my small town make me have an inclination to want to live the life I'm living now? It's like we grow older, but we never, we are still always the same person. Mm. I, I saw this video recently and it was talking about birthdays and how we say like, you're, you're turning 29 years old, but that's new age. But it's not that you're just 29. You're also one and you're two and you're three and you're four and you're seven, you're eight, you're 10, you're 15, you're 20. You're all of those ages still inside of you. And mm. then plus this new eight year and this new age that you're going to experience. Yeah, and I and that was just one of the most incredible explanations of growing older or birthdays to me, because mm. a lot of times we can feel that little former selves or former ages just screaming out at us, 
<laughs> or they're coming alive in certain moments and certain experiences. So I'm really curious about how little Orlando growing up and you still keep him with you. And I'm sure that is like that part of you that is like calling out when you're in those communities. It feels familiar, like home. So first of all, I grew up in Berkeley County. Uh, I grew up in a community that was so small. We don't say what city we're from or what town we're from. We say what county we're from. So I grew up in Berkeley County. And it was a really, it was and is a really special place. Like I uh, can't say that I loved growing up there when I was a kid, but looking back on it, I'm so thankful, so proud that I am a product of that community. Um, there was a documentary made about it a few years ago called Raising Bertie. But, um, you know, when I think about your question, I think about growing up in a community that was really small, wasn't a lot happening. And in some ways that was, difficult because there weren't a lot of opportunities to explore my curiosity but in some ways it was beautiful and helpful because there was never anything that I felt like was pushing me to come one way or another like I felt like I had the space to like be present with myself be present with my feelings my thoughts which I think creates a safe space for somebody to become themselves because yeah you know those years when you're growing up are, are really formidable and if you are exposed to the wrong thing at the wrong time it can be really uh, I was just listening to something and the guy was talking about how our early days it's almost like an egg you know where we have to be protected we're, we're, we're like a yoke that's really fragile Bertie was kind of like a shell for me that allowed me to you know develop the things I needed to to be able to, to face this this world. I mean, it's a it's a really hard place in a lot of ways. I think it was the poorest county in North Carolina a few years ago per capita. But even that built a type of resilience and passion that that I'm really grateful for. What maybe what I loved about Bertie is this place where I felt like there was nothing that was forcing me to be something. Those tend to be the type of communities that I want to be a part of, where I feel like there's space for me to just be, not have to try to do something or be somebody that I'm not. Because, yeah, when you grow up in a small town, you know everybody, right? So if you know everybody, then there's no need to impress anybody, you know? Which is hard, because when you go to a big city, like, I remember when I would leave Pittsburgh and go to, like, work out in Durham, and I would be around all these other young adult people, and I would just always be like, oh, my gosh, squeeze my muscles and look cool. <laughs> and But I can notice it because I know it's, like, not to have those same type of pressures. And obviously, you want to get to the point where you're able to, like, be yourself no matter where you're at, but... That takes time. One thing that you keep talking about is like how you can just kind of rest and be yourself. And it's, there's a safe space for you to be yourself and figure it out gracefully. The current climate that we're in and for people listening, I imagine if you watch TikTok or on social media, or even in your own personal lives and evolution, people's relationship with work and life mm. is really changing. Even relationships in the sense of wanting a life of ease and not having to perform all of the time and so what you're saying is like the juxtaposition or almost like the inverted experience of life that a lot of us go through where we grow up in these spaces that we're constantly having to fit into some other kind of mold or live our way into some type of identity and then we get older and then the process of unlearning is taking off all of these, these different armors and these different layers that we oftentimes just fell into or were forced upon us as a product of our environment. But 
when you're talking about your experience of growing up in a smaller town or in Bertie County, but it seems like it was the opposite for you that you always had a space where, well, not always, okay, nothing's absolute, but for, in comparison to other cities or places to grow up in, you naturally could find your way without all the outside pressure telling you who to be or who you should be, right? And I think it's so, I mean, I think that's so special. I think that the world might be shifting to more of that small town feeling or, you know, what is it? Slow living. Or you hear these expressions of like, I want to live a life with ease, or I don't want to have to just labor my entire existence. When going back to like, you know, off the grid, tiny homes, like all of those experiences are basically just like rural, small town type of feeling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you had it, you had a taste of it. So you already knew that it was good. You already knew. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I really appreciate you naming that too, because I think, like I said before, I had always, for a long time, lamented growing up in a rural community and thought about, oh, I missed out on this opportunity. I couldn't take this dance class or I couldn't go to this type of training for a sport. Uh, but yeah, there is something beautiful about growing up in a place where you're not forced to be anything other than who you are created to be. And it's interesting that people are like coming back to that. And what's even more interesting is that I feel like the majority of our species time on earth has been in these small rural types of communities it's recently that there have been these like big cities uh where there are tons of people living all together um i I would be interested to do some type of sociological kind of study or research on like what that does to someone to be around so many humans and not and to like see so many different humans on one day versus knowing seeing the same people over and over again Mm, that's interesting right and then also like not just in life like real in real life but also now on your your phone and your devices like you're constantly inundated with ways of living yeah. that is so fascinating orlando so what is the inversion you moving to, you moving to pittsburgh <laughs> absolutely <laughs> not <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> uh, i need a little bit of diversity i need a lot of i need a lot of diversity <laughs> i lived in korea for five years okay i need i need i need to see people who who got some a little bit more melanin and another melanin in Pittsburgh, but I feel you. I feel you. So, um, what is the inversion then of that? Because yes, you have this space to kind of figure it out, but I imagine there also is that there's low pressure to perform. Like as you said, you don't have to impress anyone. So, mm-hmm. how do you find the self motivation internally mm. to fully become and actualize? Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, you can get stuck in a place like that, right? Because it comes so comfortable, so easy, that maybe you don't take the next step and develop in the same way that somebody who lives in a big city is forced to. That's a really good question. I want to know from you, Orlando, not generally, how have you been able to yeah. do that? Because you've gone off and you've done some really incredible things, which we'll get into, but I mean... Like coming from a small town and then going to university and then transferring and then getting your master's at Chapel Hill and then traveling and like all of these things. Like it's yeah. incredible. Yeah. You know, not to get too woo-woo-wah-wah, but I think for me personally, maybe this is a universal experience. I think we all have this inner voice, this inner spark in us, right? That speaks to us. And I felt like, you know, when I was younger and, and growing up and developing, I will always have something that felt was calling me towards something, whether it was a voice or just like 
I would notice something that would spark my curiosity. I think that's kind of what allowed me to keep taking steps towards growing and not staying in one spot. And I had amazing, amazing parents who like also fostered this belief in myself to be able to follow the inner voice. And I also had like a great role model, my older brother, who I could cry about right now. He's like, he was such a role model for me in the ways that he uh, lived his life, the way that he graduated from college. He was a counselor. I just admired him so much. So I had really good role models for me who made me feel that there was some life to be lived, right? And then when you see that around you and then you feel some type of internal pull towards something, then you know, like, okay, I've seen people in my life find um, an expression, a lived experience that looks joyful and happy and fulfilling. So I can also follow this thing that's in my chest. Um, so yeah, I think it's twofold for me. It was, well, for me, it was twofold. It was like noticing and paying attention to that inner voice. I think a rural community gives you the space to notice and cultivate. And then having, you know, family, community support that you need to be able to pursue and follow the inner voice. It was your community around you that really carried you and propelled you. Ooh, it always centers around community. You guys hear that? You hear that, listeners? <laughs> Find your community, find your people. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that so much, Orlando. We've talked about this before, how you had transferred because you originally went to another university. Is it, was it NC State? Yep, NC, NC State. When, when you talked to me before about like your, the feeling that you got walking around campus and stuff and that complete opposite, opposite, like this is just the complete opposite of what you experienced when you were at App State. So like, what was it? about NC State that you just couldn't, you know, find your your way, your footing. And then I want to hear about like that difference of how it changed to the completely the other side once you, you went to App State. So first of all, I'm not trying to throw any shit at NC State. I have friends who absolutely love their experience at State. And ironically enough, most of my best friends to this day I met during my time at NC State. So although that year was hellish for me, like are so core to who I am to this day are people who I met at NC State. Whereas at, I can think of just a couple of people who I would consider like core. So NC State was a hellish experience, but some of my best friends to this day uh, I met there. And honestly, like there was nothing about NC State in and of itself. It just wasn't a good fit for me. You know, NC State is like, you know, I think it's the largest public school in North Carolina, right? So I think it has like 30 plus thousand people. And maybe it goes back to this big city rural community thing, but it was so big and I felt lost. It, felt, it was hard for me to find my place there. I never felt like NC State was where I wanted to go. I always wanted to go to App, but Appalachian State was like six hours from where I grew up. And so for the listeners, I'm an African-American male and keeping it 100, you know, like, my mom was, my family was nervous about sending their Black son to the Appalachian Mountains where there ain't a bunch of Black people. And they grew up in rural communities and they know what has historically happened or can happen to, to Black people, especially Black males. So my mom, my parents were kind of against the idea. And so I remember I prayed to God. I was like, God, if it's the state, it's not the school where you want me to be. I want you to make it the worst experience ever. <laughs> Terrible. But I know that this is not where I'm supposed to be. I pray that prayer, Kiko, and he answered. He answered my prayers. And it was just hard. It was, it, it was like just 
and, and for me, I think there have been so many experiences in my life that have gone awry. And it, like the only thing I can come to for why I wasn't that way was it's just not where I was supposed to be. Like I wasn't following mm-hmm. the flow. Mm-hmm. Like one time, my friend commented, he just looked at me, he's like, you look lost. So it was all like oh, wow. my internal state yeah. was, was like even externally noticed. My, I had a history teacher who was a very average teacher, but one day he randomly was talking about his experiences at Appalachian State and seeing a bear go across ca- campus. And it like captured my imagination, like nothing else. And which I think shows the value in people sharing their experiences, right? Because you never know what's going to resonate with somebody. But I just couldn't shake Appalachian State from my mind. And I remember when I transferred, there's not a lot of housing in, in Boone. My parents and I took a visit for the first time and we we went to a few different apartment complexes and just nothing was working out. But I felt this real like internal like thing that I was supposed to go there. And so I remember I, that night we went back to the hotel room and I prayed. I was like, God, I'm not going to bed until you show me where I'm going to live at next year. <laughs> I sound super religious. I'm not that religious but um but I I I was I was serious I was like I so I kept praying and then I felt this voice that told me to go to this website that I have been to like 20 million times before I was like that's weird like, I went to that website and then at the bottom of the page there was a application to be a part of a transfer education community on campus and I was like what so I applied and I got in and that was awesome but yeah I think it was crazy how Appalachian State worked. It was like a 180. I went there and I felt, it just felt like where I was supposed to be. It was almost like when I moved from Greensboro to Pittsburgh, this like blossoming that happened. And that's what happened when I was at Boone. Like I, it was just, it was just magic really, you know, like it was a magical experience and it felt great. And I love that story because this is also to listen to your, to your body, like to your, to to Mm. be present to understand and to really not take like and sometimes I know we shouldn't take our emotions at face value but also there's something about being present enough to recognize when something isn't working or something Mm -hmm. is not for you and there's time to make a shift and I love that you made that shift sooner than later because you could have gone into like your second your third year or just stuck it out right and then you would have never experienced uh, what it was like to be at a place where you felt like, oh, okay, this is this is where I sh- should be. This is what it should have been like, and and make a change that way. That's yeah. really beautiful. Of course, I love that you came to App because then we met. I feel like you were there longer. You <laughs> were my senior year. Yeah, were you no, there? I took, I took a year off from school. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, that makes sense. So you, that's you, why we graduated. I met. Yeah, we graduated at the same time. But, but we did. I took a year off. Yeah. You took a year off at App, like a year off from App. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's when you went to South Africa, right? I transferred. My sophomore year was amazing. It was really good. And I felt this, come back to like, listen to your body. I felt this desire to like study abroad, to do, uh, to go on an adventure. But things were so good at app. Like I had, I was making so many friends. I was living my best life. I would walk around campus. I felt like the mayor. I'd be like, hey, what's up, everybody? All right, <laughs> come down. Okay, you want to kiss your baby? Mwah. Okay, I got to go to class now. I was, like, I was always waiting. Class was all over. I would literally have to take the back way to my classes because I would see so many people. <laughs> um, not because I'm that cool. It's just like how it all happened. But um, so yeah, life was good at app, but I felt this is all right. But I was like, I'm not going. This is, why would I want to leave? like this experience right now so I stayed and when I stayed life got hard like I ended up becoming an RA 
hey, let's let's keep it 100 on the on the podcast. I was an RA for half a semester. I don't know if I told a lot of people this, but then the uh, the RD was like, my brother, this ain't the job for you. What? <laughs> <laughs> and, and he was right because I was being an RA is a lot. You know, there's a lot of stuff you have to keep up with and bulletin and boards and. You just weren't organized. I wasn't organized. Yes, I was not organized at all. <laughs> to the point where it was really preventing me from doing a, a, a good job. And and I also was trying to make a lot of money. So I had another, I had two other part-time jobs at the same time. <laughs> so I just was like not doing the things I needed to do. So that fell apart. One of my best friends was studying right at the time. And so I felt like I lost a little bit of my community. Anyways, it was like a hard year. And so then at the end of that year, I was like, you know what, maybe I should have listened to that voice that I had to study abroad or do something different. And so I think that's what took me to want to do something. So I took a year off trying to like, in hindsight, go back and make the different decision. Now that I think about it, I wish I would have just kept going, you know, because I don't think you can relive, right? your experiences you can't like say oh I made this decision two years ago that was wrong so let me make a try to make a different decision in this situation to make up for that that's not how life works but that's I was testing to see if life would work that way and so I took the year off and it was it wasn't like a bad thing nothing bad happened but I definitely racked up some more student loan debt Uh, (laughs) that interest kept on rolling and I had a good year I went to Africa which was an interesting experience because I was, I was the only black person in this all-white team serving all black communities. So that created a whole bunch of dynamics mm-hmm. that were interesting and, mm-hmm. and um, hard. Um, and I didn't have the language for it at the time. I want to pause right there. So was it hard for you or did you see that in the community that you were serving there in South Africa? Like, did they point that out at all or recognize that so yeah they would ask me like where are you from i'd be like i'm from america they're like no where are you from and i was like i'm from america and then they would be like no no no, where are you from from and then that mm-hmm. created a little bit of an identity crisis because like no i'm not really from this place where all my experiences are which was weird but then also there were some weird racial dynamics but yeah there were times where like i would hear stuff that didn't feel like it sat well with my soul mm-hmm one time where people were criticizing Nelson Mandela for some of the like violent acts that he did when he was in South South Africa. They're like, oh, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't that great of a guy. Or they say, it would say like, he's great, but then he had these falls. And for me as a black person, I'm like, do you understand that he was in this situation where he was fighting for the liberation of his people? And there was, he had little other option than to bring attention to the plight of his people. I felt like there were times where the people that we were serving were dehumanized, right? They were like these subjects mm-hmm. that we kind of objectify um, and give things to. Whereas for me, I remember going to these communities and seeing like myself, because I know that if I lived in this country, if I was raised in this country, I would be where these people are, you know? And so I remember vividly like this experience where it was almost like this mystical experience where we were giving out food and like, I saw my brother, like in this kid, you know, I, I felt like I was serving my brother and I like, I cried for like 30 minutes. Like I, it was, I couldn't stop crying. So that, that those were two things. And then also I felt some, maybe they wouldn't say it's racism, but there were some racist views that I, I can see now where they would say things like, you know, they're born and when they're young, they're, they're these cute and, and precious kids. But then as they grow older, 
and they are raised in this community, they become hard and they become angrier and they become, you know, the, the community changes them into being these like kind of violent people or whatever. And there is some truth to that, right? Because they, they, as they get older, right, a lot of them do kind of start going to gangs and doing things like that. So I'm not trying to discredit that. But then there's no acknowledgement of the systems that create this environment mm-hmm. that lead to them doing these things to freaking survive, you know? I, I wasn't able to name when I was there, but that in hindsight, I have noticed. Thank you for sharing that, Orlando, and opening up, because I know you you mentioned that you haven't even really articulated this before and or to the group that you traveled with I don't know if you're still in in communication or contact with them but well thank you for for that because I think a lot of people POC or minorities in different spaces wherever they are might be your work environment it might be a a community that you're volunteering for or with or whatever spaces that you're in where um, you are faced with doing doing charity or volunteer work but then also coming head first with the experience of you're serving to be of service to other humans mm. and they still deserve and inherently should have the dignity of being humans just as you are because yeah. it's just circumstance and it is just by no by a flip of a coin that you could have been in their space you could have had their story yeah. And so for you to articulate that in this way and to do it live when you may not have really, you know, sat with it and discussed it with someone else, I really appreciate that. But also, this is so, I, I'm seeing, because we recently had a conversation about this similar <laughs> experience, but happening um, in, a def- in a different space that you were doing work in and the community work in. Um, and you could, you were kind of wrestling with those uh, microaggressions, I guess you can say, or also the group who is supposed to be serving a population and then also othering them at the same time or placing judgment on just the way that they act or their experience or yeah, basically who they are. It sounds like this gap year that you took in doing service there in South Africa um, really served you more than anything and it really shifted something inside inside of you and changed your perspective and then opened up a level of awareness that yeah. I have experienced in you and you are super I think perceptive when you're in these spaces to kind of hone in on am I serving and am I keeping the humanity um, at the forefront of the people I'm serving and then what are the conversations going around like that are happening around me and how can my presence here kind of do something to mitigate them and also provide that bring back the dignity to the people I'm serving and I think that is maybe something that kind of birthed out of this experience that you had in South Africa. That's good. I I thought the uh, temptation to take out my pen and start journaling as you were talking. I just want to share this quick story as an example of like the differences in the way that we saw them. Like I remember one time we were making these sandwiches and we, we were putting some some like sandwich meat on the bread and we were running low on sandwich meat. And so one of the volunteers was like, well, it's okay. They won't notice if there's not a lot of meat on it. Just like spread the, the meat out really thinly so that they don't notice it i was like what like 
in my mind, I was like, we should just go get some more freaking meat to put on these dang old sandwiches. Because you know what we ate that night? We weren't trying to spread out our meat to make it look mm. like we were eating good. And maybe, and I'm not trying to like throw shade or, or beam because I do think there are ways in which when you grow up in the system and grow up in this like this way of viewing the world, it's easy to to have that view. To answer your question though, it's interesting because I don't know, I feel like the experience in Africa was this this like continuation of something that started when I, when I first arrived at the app, which is the realization that I was black. Like mm. and that, and it's as 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 funny and simple as it sounds. Like the color of my skin means so much in terms of how I experience this world, how I interpret the world, and it's so different than people who do not have the same skin color as me. And I think when I was a kid, I grew up in a predominantly black community. Like I just I was sheltered from that a little bit, you know, because my experience was the norm for the most part as a black man in the community that I was in, but going to app where it's like, what, 4% black, 5% black, whatever, something, ain't one, one many of us. <laughs> uh, like, that's when I realized I was black. So I remember like my first week at, on campus, like I made, I said something funny and this, this uh, person of European heritage, I, I had a parasite and he would say person who was raced as a white because which is, I thought, an interesting language to use because mm. nobody's really white. They're part of the ways in which America dehumanizes mm. white people is by disconnecting them from their heritage. Anyway, that's a whole nother thing. But like this, this white girl, she said, black people, y'all are so funny. Oh my God, y'all are so funny. What? Yeah, and I remember I was in that room and I was like, okay, I have been hanging around these other people for like a month. So I was like, okay, somebody's going to say something. Somebody realizes how. Mm. And then everybody in the room was like laughing. Like, yeah, black people are so funny. What? Like that, it was so, it was shocking. I felt like I was like in this other world. And I, and I kept having experiences like that though, where it's like, wow, I am black. And it really shapes the way people view me. Mm. And it shapes the way that I see the world. And the way that white people see the world is very different than how I see the world yeah so so yeah South Africa was another example of how I realized that me like the color of my skin has meaning and it shapes the way I view the world and the way that I view the world is very different than my friends who have been raised as something else um and I think the older I get the more I meet white people who have learned to be able to identify with other races and other people but but there's still going to be this like different interpretation, this different experience, this different perspective that we have in the world because of um, just the way in which our culture, yeah, our cultural experiences are shaped by our race. I, I think you've traveled a lot and you've lived in other countries. You live in Canada a bit. And I think one, one thing that I've learned or I've experienced firsthand is how race is such a deeply rooted um, part of the United States and in all facets, in all areas, in our systems, in our communities, in um, our social, economic, um, you know, ev everywhere is the United States is such a racially charged, focused, centered um, country. 
Mm-hmm. And I think the previous episode where Toby, he kind of mentioned this a bit coming from Africa to the States and like seeing, wow, this is a very different experience. And then me living in Korea and then also in Europe and wherever I've traveled, it's just, it's such a different feeling of being able to breathe and like let out mm. that tension that I felt like I was always carrying with me. Yeah. in the U.S., especially going to App State, which I will be remiss not to mention again that I had a lot of um, wonderful experiences in the communities that I was a part of. I centered being around all different types of people, as you all could hear, because a lot of them have been on this podcast. And so my experience, I think, at App State was very different from a lot of people because I was involved in like the Asian Student Association, Korean Culture Club, and also um just had so many different friends and so many different backgrounds and so many different yeah experiences so app was very white but it also didn't feel as white as it is for me but then still I had my experiences there I I have my little things now that we have the language for it microaggressions I won't go into into all of that but I will mention <laughs> this person is listening I did have someone at the campus ministry that I was part of um they were like encouraging dating uh, like you know yeah dating or whatever and guys like having the confidence just to like initiate something and one guy said to me it must be really hard for you Kiko since we're here at app and nobody wants to date black girls oh my he said God. that to me out loud out loud the group of people to me and in that moment it was so crazy because the world was so different then right you would never say that to someone now I think the whole sense of awareness but also me like I didn't say anything I just said well no that that's not true that hasn't really been my experience here and then just walked away but he's like little things like that that would happen here and there and I also did have someone um say the n-word with a hard er around that that's like the the balance of right that you can love a place but also there's that experience that I'm sure a lot of my friends listening to this had no idea that those things happened because that wasn't their experience um and but then living abroad where as I mentioned that tension that I could release because I wasn't always Mm -hmm. kind of on my on my guard or Mm -hmm. always made aware Mm -hmm. of you know I'm black (laughs) and like the meaning behind how that meant I had to present myself in these different areas um so when you're you're talking about this experience for yourself it's so interesting where you say app was the first place where you learned that you were black yeah that was the case for a lot of of my friends of color have said said the same thing not just being black but you know Asian or um yes African or Hispanic they yeah they've all said that I am just like I, I want to leave space for your experiences of living in Canada and living in other countries and kind of like point to the experience, uh, the difference of, you know, carrying your identity in the United States. Mm-hmm. But then when we, we as a diaspora, we go and live in other countries, that kind of release that we could feel, even though Canada is a very white place as well, yeah. or yeah. Europe, and then Korea is a very Asian place. They don't have very many Black people, but still there's this sense of tension that gets released. I don't know. Was it the same for you? Gosh, man, Kiko, this is going to be like a five-hour podcast because I keep having these thoughts. So I'm a, I'm just going to drop these thoughts and then you can keep them or take them or leave them. And then I'm going to answer your question. Um, 
But the thing about what that guy said is how those those views can be internalized by Black people. You know what I mean? Like I have had so much work that I've had to do to unlearn some of the internalized racism. That very belief that he had that, oh, it must be hard for you because you're a black woman and, and not many people want to date black women. I had that belief about black men. I remember I was talking to my white female friend. I was like, yeah, it's, it's really tough being in, in, I was in grad school at times, like it's tough being in grad school because I know most people don't think black men are attractive and it's hard. And then she was like, who told you that? You know, like, why do you think that? And I was like, wow, you know, like I had internalized these beliefs about myself that I wasn't, uh, maybe the image of God that I wasn't beautiful. Mm. Um, and then the story about release. I remember I was student teaching in Wiltsboro. You know, Wiltsboro is pretty white. And my student teacher uh, supervisor, who was amazing, I was so lucky to have her. Her name was Miss Parks. And I remember, I think she has another name now because she's married. But I remember I saw the name as Parks, and I just had this image in my head of like a 50-year-old white lady, curly hair. And so I walked down the hall, and then I remember when I turned the corner and saw that she was a, a black lady, I like, like, I, I, I was like, oh, like, I just had a release. But then that had so many thoughts. Like, the whole time I was walking down the hall, I had been holding my breath. The whole time my body was, had been uptight. I was like, how long have I been walking around mm. like, like body not being able to breathe because I'm afraid of how this person is going to interpret me. I'm, I have to um, present myself in such an image. The same way that our ancestors, when they were slaves, they had to like, whenever the white person was around, they had to like straighten up their back and put it on the front so that they didn't, they weren't perceived as being a threat. So so that was the first time I realized that there's a way in which I carry myself in the world where I am holding my breath, where I am kind of uptight because I don't know how my actions, my behaviors, my words are going to be interpreted. So I have to hide some of who I am until I know that it's safe. Um, mm. it, it hit me when I, I, I was like, because I, I wasn't expecting to like have that bodily reaction. But I remember like I walked down, I was just like, you know, oh, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't be like that. <laughs> but, but yeah, and then I guess it's interesting because in Canada, so there's not a lot, and what, Canada has, you know, it's racist history too. They, you know, they got some stuff that they're dealing with for sure. Yeah. I just know that you, I just know that you loved Winnipeg. I did. I did. Yeah. Winnipeg for life. Manitoba, friendly Manitoba. Shout out to Manitoba. Where y'all at? And that was, that was in, um, decipherable i don't know what you said <laughs> <laughs> manitoba that's the province of Win of winnipeg. yeah oh oh got it manitoba yeah so you you really liked Min winnipeg but does that go back to like the community part of it or or also like leaving the states and kind of you're actually living somewhere more long term and not having to think about these you can like walk without holding your breath basically right right, right. yeah you know i I wish I had an answer to that. Like, I, somebody asked me if I felt like my experience being Black was different in Canada versus the U.S. I'm sure it was. Like, you know, the, my recent trip that I went on, I went to a whole bunch of civil rights national monuments. But one of the ones I went to was a lynching memorial. And America has a really ugly, terrible history when it comes to how it has dehumanized and brutally murdered Black people. Like my granddad would tell me stories about how he would live in fear at night sometimes because you never know 
what's going to happen to you. And, and there is just so many things. So anyways, like the, the fear that black people experience in America is justified. And, and it would make sense for us to feel like a little bit of a release when we go to other countries. And so I think there was an element of that where I felt like I was maybe leaving this like space that has this history of lynching and, and dehumanizing black people where I felt like a, a sense of freedom. I also think in Canada, and especially in Winnipeg, so their, their motto is friendly Manitoba, right? So there was back to like what I experienced in rural community, there was a sense of authenticity that I remember experiencing it in Canada that made me feel at home. Like I remember mm-hmm. somebody asked me one time, like, how are you doing? And then they stopped and looked at me. And like, I could feel that their whole attention was on me waiting for me to respond. And I was like, I didn't even know what to say. I wasn't used to being asked, how are you? And for somebody to like really be curious about how I'm doing. So that that just speaks to like how authentic and real I experienced people in, in Manitoba mm-hmm. and Winnipeg to be. So yeah, I think my experience of race was definitely different. I also know that I was there for three months. My experience there was was brief. Yeah, limited. But yeah, there was definitely a different um, sense of like maybe comfort, relief, and safety mm-hmm. that I felt in Winnipeg. Which makes so much sense because being authentic, being able to find your way and to figure out your own path mm. and all and then community being a huge part of you figuring out your path and then wanting to do a career like being a school counselor where you're basically helping people sort through all the muchness of your emotions and your life and figuring out your path it just naturally makes sense that you're a school counselor I didn't even blink or bat an eye when you told me you were getting your master's in counseling I'm like of course you are but yeah this podcast is bringing to light like yeah, you know, I experienced when I was in Bertie this like I think I'm noticing some authentic self here and feeling like I had what I needed to express that. Um through both of my parents were educators. Um so we, I I felt like I had the financial resources and also just like the emotional support and resources to to pursue that, to pursue this person who I thought I could be. And I remember feeling very viscerally that um, the people around me didn't have those same opportunities to tap into their most authentic, beautiful self. And I don't know if I would have used that language before this podcast, but I think that's what I wanted. It wasn't necessarily I wanted them to become doctors or to become a lawyer, but I wanted them to experience the opportunity to become their best self. Like I had, like I felt like I had opportunity to. And so I think that's what drove me to want to become a school counselor, like wanting to be in a position where I could do some small thing, right, to to help cultivate a, a young person's um, best self. And so, yeah, I've, I've been so lucky to have the experience of going to grad school at, at UNC and study school counseling and then be a school counselor at Pittsburgh Elementary, like first in Wake County and, and Greensboro, but then like the last three years at Pittsburgh Elementary, which have been like a dream. It was crazy because, like, I remember when I was a um, in college, I would dream about working in a rural community that was far enough from the city that it um, had its own culture and, and vibe, but close enough that you know still had some resources. It wasn't like in the middle of nowhere. And I feel like Pittsburgh is a community that I dreamed of mm-hmm. being a part of. Like literally, it literally felt like a dream the first few years. Like I remember I was doing a like virtual dance party. And like, I had this moment where I lost like sense of where I was 
because I was so happy. Like I was dancing and, and, and playing music and the kids were loving it. And that's what the first two years at Pittsburgh were like. I just felt like it was amazing to be in a position to live out this dream that I've had for so long and to be able to have an opportunity to live a life that helps students cultivate, you know, their best life too. And um, I'm happy to keep doing that. That's lovely. And you're so great at it, Orlando. I'm sure you are. I'm okay. I'm okay. Good days and bad days. So this last segment is the great school of life. These are rapid fire questions you answer in a sentence or less, no elaborating, whatever just comes to the surface. All right. Ready? Woo! No elaborating. Like, can I get one pass? One pass. (laughs) Okay. 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 (laughs) So the first question is, what is one book that completely changed your perspective? I would say the autobiography of Martin Luther King Jr. Um, it was a book that behind the scenes stories of the movement gave me chills to my bones to hear mm-hmm. the love, the sacrifice, the ways in which people love future versions of them so much so that they were willing to sacrifice their life what one book would you recommend to myself and listeners that would change our life read the whatever spiritual book that resonates with you like for me the bible is cool but also if you are muslim read you know the quran if you're jewish be inspired but like reading the the stories of group of people's formative experiences, I I recommend diving deep into those ancient stories and and learning from those book tales. So we've talked a lot about community. So what are the top two forms of advice that you would give to myself and listeners on how to foster community where they are now in this present moment? To keep it 100, the thing that I think I have noticed and, and learned about friendship is that it matters less about the relationships that you can cultivate with others and more with the, the relationship you can cultivate with yourself. I've learned I've learned that the hard way, but like I would say, was the question, what advice would you give? Yeah. I think the advice I would give is cultivate the most uh, beautiful, authentic, wonderful relationship with yourself. And then the connections that you have with others will flow. Like, I'm getting snaps. Let me put That's them in. good. Put that them in is good. Sort of more here, is it? Yeah. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Mm. You are the longest relationship you will have. Mm. Mm. What is one thing that you're trying to let go of in this current season? Ooh, disorganization and unhealthy coping mechanisms for um, the anxiety that I feel when there's stuff to do, right? So how I cope is to procrastinate, to ignore, to numb myself. And so I'm hoping to let go of those things and lean into, and lean into, yeah, that discomfort. Mm -hmm. When I, that I feel when I have stuff to do. What is one piece of wisdom that you've gained from your travels that mm-hmm. you now carry with you into your day-to-day? Is when I've traveled, I have experienced a, a joy, an enthusiasm, a life with a big L, like a sense of life that I didn't know was possible. So I feel like I try to carry that with me into my day-to-day life where I try to be present to where the like big L version of life is and to allow myself to to go and experience that it's what my friend and my friend a and i call bigger vigorous mm. moment. i think you do that quite well for your you're moving in 
into that very well, Orlando. What is the hope that you have for yourself in this next season that you're entering into in life? And if there's like a mantra for yourself that you would bring into it, what would that be? Connected to what we've been talking about, I think my biggest hope is that I will tap into my beautiful self, my most authentic self. I realized how much of a fan I've been of your projects since day one. You used to write the most beautiful things. And I was reading something you wrote a while ago where you were looking at nature and you were realizing like how we are made of all the elements of nature, which really resonated with me because there's so many times where I'll be looking at the mountains and I'll feel like a part of it. Like I, I feel this, I have this desire to like jump into the mountain, you know what I mean? But I think it's because there's this like beckoning in me that's like connected to what I'm seeing. So we're all just beautiful. I created to express this version of the divine of beauty that nobody else can um, express. One of my friends told me recently, you can't cultivate something in others that you haven't cultivated mm. yourself, which I really resonated with that. I appreciate that. Shout out to Meredith, I think, who, who uh, shared that with me. We are all made of the same stuff as nature. So it mm. must only be that we too are abundant, right? So I wish that for all of us, maybe self-actualize. Thank you for being here, Orlando. It's been a joy having you. I'm just, I mean, I, I'm i just so grateful for you in my life. And I say this to so many people after the episodes, but I truly mean it to each and every one of the people in my life. But for you, you are sunshine Aww. in pocket, carryable form. So I'm so grateful for you. Oh, thank you, Kiko. I want to say, this is my moment to share some guys. <laughs> pause the cup. Everybody, pause what you're doing. Listen up. Because <laughs> I got some stuff I want to say. Keep oh going. my gosh. You know, I was thinking about the desire to travel. It, you know, it, I think it originated in a lot of different ways, but you were like the, the ingredient that allowed it to, to bloom. You know, I remember you were always, oh Lord, talk about traveling all the time. I remember my first trip was to like Regina, Saskatchewan, and I was so proud of myself. I think I sent you a picture of, I, I was just so happy that I was going to, I was traveling the world, like my friend Kiko, I was just going north of the border, like a few, it wasn't even more than 50 miles above the U.S. border, but I was so happy, and I put these like inspirational quotes, I was like, Kiko would be so proud of me. Oh my gosh. And so I'm just really grateful for the ways that you have help cultivate my own uh, authentic version and expression of myself. Listeners, like the joy, the, the beautiful person that you all see uh, or hear, I guess, is like 10 times more better in, in person. I was just thinking like, what, what difference has Kiko made in my life? So I was like, let me read my last journal entry about Kiko and see what I said. What? A journal entry? <laughs> Well, the last time I visited you and then wrote about it in my journal was, I, I, I usually write in my journal, like, gratitude. Kiko, I'm so grateful for her presence on this earth. She is a rare soul who has tapped into a version of herself that is beautiful and reflects the image of God. Thank you, God, for souls like Kiko. I'm grateful for Wanjay, too. I love being in his presence. Just seems like such a gentle, a so gentle wrong spirit, and I appreciate that. This is how it happens. The magic of this podcast, it all comes full circle. This whole time I've been talking about finding my most authentic self, 
and wanting to do that for others when you have been the person who I think uh, has tapped into some authentic version of yourself. And oh, I'm, I'm going to throw up my I'm, my, I'm smiling so hard. My cheeks are going to fall off of my face. <laughs> but you have inspired me and so many others, I think, to tap into their most authentic version of themselves. And I feel like every time on the podcast, we hear it, right? People say, thank you, Kiko. I always feel like my best stuff around you. Love me, love me, love me. So, so yes, think is so full circle to like be talking about finding my most authentic self and sharing that with others while talking to somebody who's done it for me. So thank you, Kiko. Thank you, Orlando. I'm so grateful for you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it or learned something new, make sure to pass it along to someone else in your life. Remember, you don't just live a life, you can create it. Why not? Make it colorful.